Gregoire and Dan Beeston are smart enough to know better. Welcome to episode 197 of Smart Enough to Know Better. We are a podcast of science. And comedy. And ignorance. I'm Dan Beeston. And I'm Gregoire. And in this episode of Smart Enough to Know Better, it's a noisy bug's noise that bugs. And will we all just go away, please? But before we get there, what happened to you this week in science? You may remember, Dan, that there was a little thing called the, the pandemic that happened. And now everyone's not talking about it anymore. And we've all moved on with our yes, lives. Yes, I have. I, I do remember <laughs> that there was a little thing called the pandemic. Yes, right. All I could think about. <laughs> and you're not meaning to talk about it anymore. I've, I've been seeing a lot of things online saying, hey, if you want your videos or your podcast to do well, don't mention it. Just don't mention it. No one wants to hear about it anymore. So, is that because uh, of the algorithm or is that because just people are just this? Well, one builds from the other, surely. I and mean, the algorithm is not a thing on its own. The algorithm is built to based on what people want it's what yeah oh that's not a good system <laughs> people need to hear stuff it's true it's true but i if so, only we could wrap up this important and critical scientific information you know like a nice friendly shell of jokes and <laughs> and, and charm indeed indeed and welcome our sexy listener oh, God, i've got a really sexy voice today i've got the whole hello sexy yeah, i've voice. noticed that i don't know what's whether, going on something, what's wrong with the mic <laughs> Very deep and sexy today. I'm not sure what's going on. I'll stop doing that though. <laughs> it actually hurts. <laughs> anyway, the point of this is a nice Stuart Light. <laughs> oh, we all can live up to that. But during the pandemic, one of the things I was wondering about was how's this going to affect people mentally? And I remember thinking to myself, well, in the future, I'm sure there'll be lots of studies and people will learn about being locked up and, you know, locked down and lots of stuff and how it affected people. Well, guess what, Dan? It's all been happening. Enough time has now passed that there have been studies on this very question. And I was very excited to discover it. So I was actually interested about mental health. Were people's mental health impacted by the pandemic? Not just the disease itself, but all the things around the disease. The answer is, yeah. well, I bought a tiger zoo. You bought a tiger zoo? Yeah, yeah. Is that mentally stable? Is well, that normal? Is that normal behavior? No, well, it's, yeah, you can buy a tiger zoo, but it's, 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 I think the insane people are the people who just started watching the show about the terrible tiger zoo man and wanted everyone else to watch the, sh- the show and couldn't work out why you didn't want to watch the show about a terrible tiger zoo man. They're like, no, 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 Greg, you have to. We're all inside now. You just have to watch the same TV. So, hang on. You didn't see Tiger Zoo Man? No, no, I never watched Tiger Zoo Man. I've never seen it. Oh, I my goodness. I know. I just went, Oh, you, you contrarian. <laughs> I just everyone watched it. It was, the, it was what everyone did so they didn't have to face the horror. Yes. They got yes. to face someone else's horror. That's right. It was one of those times when, when people would say something and I would say, What? And they go, oh, my God, is this, and then there's this woman. She probably murdered her husband, and then she also has a tiger zoo. She's a tiger zoo woman. And I was like, what? Why would I watch this? This sounds like the worst. This is like the housewives of tiger zoo. I was like, why would I watch any of this nonsense? Okay, I'll tell you why you watch it, because oh. there's nothing else to do, because you're stuck at home doing <sighs> nothing and going insane. I had a lot of stuff to do, and I, yeah, some of us are a bit more self uh no, that's not true. I went crazy. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't watch Tiger Zoo, man. 
that's an interesting phrasing you're using. During COVID, you went crazy. So please continue on with your <laughs> yes. freaking science. Exactly. So is it, um, am I statistically anomalous or am I the trend? And was I, am I an important data point? The answer is no, <laughs> because this is not just one study. This is a, a meta study. So they looked at 137 studies from around the world around about people's mental health and during the pandemic. So looking at before and during and after. Well, the answer to the question of were people's mental health overall affected by the pandemic? The answer is no, no, no. That's right. <laughs> How much? Oh, this surprised me. They said that people are much more resilient than we thought. There was an idea that it was going to be a tsunami of crazy. I shouldn't call it that, but there was going to be a tsunami of issues, and they never eventuated. Yes, there was some in some cases, and because some, you know, obviously some cases found it was, some cases found it wasn't, but it was never very high. Women overall had a slightly worse time of it than men, supposedly, but but not by a lot, according to the study. Yes, it looks different, but not by a huge amount. And then the usual people, like so they said, people of minority groups such as LGBTQI, they also showed some minor effects as well. But as pointed out, that's just what happens in the world. So <laughs> that may not have been the pandemic. So yeah, I was really fascinated by that. That's not saying if you're listening right now and you're like, well, I had an awful time and my mental health degraded. That's of course, it, it, individually, I'm sure it did. And it was also, they did, they did also say that it was mainly in countries that would do experiments like this. So you're not going to get a lot of poorer countries in Africa and that sort of stuff. So yes, it is mm. predominantly white people and it's not predominantly men though. So they did try and they said, yes, women were affected more than men. Men were affected basically zero. Women were affected almost zero. Like it, 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 yeah. they, they weren't saying women were shockingly affected and therefore it averages out. Everything's fine. Yes, they were affected more, but not by, they said it was still a tiny, tiny amount overall. That's really interesting to me. And as I said before, if you were affected, please don't take this as we, we're saying that you weren't affected. It's just, this is an average across the planet. And human beings' brains are pretty resilient. You get used to pretty crazy stuff and you start watching Tiger Zoo Man. We've had three years of COVID and all our brains are like, A-OK? Seems to be. Well, according to mental health stuff, yeah. Ah, right. What about physical brain damage stuff? Well, I don't know, but that's not part of the that's not part of the study. I don't know. Not part of the study. Not part of the study. I'm sure there will be. There will be. Oh, you're, you're talking about long covid stuff. Yeah. 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 I saw someone talking about how there have been like more near misses in airplanes and more bad driving and, and lower test scores. And every one of these things has their own sort of, oh, well, you know, pilots don't have as much practice because of that. There's been fewer flights and people are like using their phones more and kids are still getting back into learning. And someone's like, what if all of these things are related? And it's because all these people have a little tiny bit more brain damage than last time. I think we should be really careful on our podcast to go down this pathway. You've just made a, I'm not saying that it hasn't damaged some brains somewhere, but we should be very careful about implying that that is what's without any tests or any knowledge of it, because I feel that that is just, it's a nice, not nice, it's not a nice idea. It's, it's a, it's a hypothesis, but if there's no evidence of that, I would hate to put that out into the world as potentially something that we think is real because we don't actually know. There are a lot of studies that show that, that there are risks of dam brain damage from long COVID. 
Yes, but I feel uncomfortable straying to this now because now we're two of us just talking about things we don't really know what we're talking about. I feel tiny percentages of tiny percentages of people who get, so you've got to get COVID and then you've got to get long COVID and then tiny percentages of long COVID can get brain damage. It's not like everyone who got COVID got brain damage. I think we have to be very careful about, about what we're saying here. No, but at the moment, we're predicted to get COVID 1.4 times a year. Mm. And anyone who gets COVID has like a 13 to 20% chance of getting long COVID. So we're kind of rolling a dice every single time. We, basically, for the listeners, just get COVID as few times as possible. Yeah. That's probably the best. That's probably the best answer there. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. That's true. Get vaccinated. Yeah. Go get a vaccination. Yeah. Get yeah. a vaccination. Wear an N95 mask if you have to go to the supermarket or if you really no, desperately need to sit in a. Cinema no with people. No one's doing that. No one's doing that anymore, I think. Well, all I can tell the listeners <laughs> is fucking do that because... <laughs> no one's doing that. that you're, every time you get COVID, you roll the dice. Yeah. And long COVID has a whole bunch of research that suggests that it's really not good. I, I had an eye-rolling conversation recently with people I know. I won't say their names, but they're medical professionals and they were going on about this stuff going on about that's a very harsh way of putting it but they were just oh the government's you know they're just not doing it right and and it's really bad and and we're all everyone's stupid and and no no, not wearing masks and and i i agree with this person absolutely true and i just Mm -hmm. waited them to rant and rant and rant and rant and at the end i went so um how'd you get here today i took a bus do you wear a mask on the bus no did you go shopping yes do you wear masks no so Everyone's stupid and dumb, and everyone should be wearing masks. But you're the and you're the, you're angry that the government is not enforcing something. But you're the medical professional telling me this should all happen. Yet you also don't do any of these things. No, I I take his side. The government should be doing this because it shouldn't be up to individuals to have to face up to social conformity, face up against social conformity. The like when oh. when the AIDS epidemic happened, they had fucking like monsters on TV telling you wear a condom, and now everyone wears a condom. Also, a lot of gay Hopefully. people got beaten to death, so I'm just going to be careful about that. Be very careful about that. There are always, you know that? Do you hear that one before? The the gay community. Oh, it sort of demonised the yes. gay. Yes, that's uh, that came out recently. That there was there was like a large amount of violence directed towards gay people. But they showed pictures of gay people being killed by the Grim Reaper. But then little little cute little Jenny gets killed by the Grim Reaper, and Granddad gets killed by the Grim Reaper. And the amount of violence towards gay men rose considerably after those ads because people went, well, if we kill, we're angry at the gays for giving us this disease, which is not what happened. So I'm not saying, I'm saying there's always implications and there's always, there's always these, these other things that come in. And, and, but I, 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 yes, sure. The government should probably be a bit more, hey, we should do this. Like for here in Western Australia, where I live, for a long time, we, A, locked down, but B, also on buses for a very long time after everyone else didn't have to do it. Mm-hmm. I had to wear them on buses. And that was just a thing I did. And it was fine. And some people refused to do it and they weren't enforcing it. I noticed that. Like I would wear it and people would just get on the mm-hmm. bus and just glare at everyone and walk around. Like, and you're like, don't glare at me. I'm wearing a mask. You're not wearing a mask. I don't give two shits if you're not doing it. But the, the rule is what we should do it. I'll follow the rule. And I think that's right. But also I get frustrated with people who get all kind of uppity about what, you know, oh, we're all doing it wrong, but don't follow the rules themselves. I, I find that a bit But that's the thing. There are no rules in place. Well, and well, so but, if you wear a mask, you look like a crazy psychopath. Yeah, I don't know. See, I disagree with that too. I see people, it's a very small percentage. I go shops and you see people wearing masks 
and they're just part of the background now. Well, for me, I don't know. I, I can only speak for myself. Well, that's I, the thing. I don't is wear that- a mask, and and I choose not to wear a mask now. I that's my choice. For, you know, for shopping, I don't feel the urge to. When other people do, I don't give them a side eye. I whatever. I, and I I think to myself, they're sick or that they are uh, immunocompromised or they're nervous or they're whatever their reason is. No, nothing to do with me. I don't care. It's like saying I gave a shit if they wore a dress or a burqa. Well, yeah, here's the, here's the problem is that you have people who are very introverted, who want to wear a mask, who want to feel safer, mm. but feel persecuted because mm. they can't, because no one else is wearing it. And they feel mm. so self-conscious that it encourages them not to. This is a, something that could benefit our public health so much mm. if the government was like doing ads and saying, hey, even though you don't have to, it's really, really valuable to wear a mask. Here are the, here are mm. the dangers. Here is what, yeah. But people don't realize how often they're going to get COVID and how mm. often they're going to get long COVID. Like if 10% of our workforce has COVID at any one time, mm. then our entire economy is like tits up. Yeah. Uh, how did we get started on this? Were we talking about something making, that would make me much less angry? I was talking about mental health uh, during the pandemic. Humans are much more resilient, but then we strayed into a, the rant about COVID, uh, and that's a different. And then thing. I displayed that I'm an outlier too. Yeah, we're all outliers. It's fine. It's okay. It's all right. But um, yeah, I'm not going to bleep some of those f bombs either. <laughs> Fair enough. How was your week in science? Dare I ask, Greg? You have a human heart. Where is it? How dare you? How dare you make assumptions? Um, where is it? I yeah. keep it. I keep Where's it in my. Ch- I keep it in a chest next to my bed. Where so when I get attacked, they can't actually kill me. It's buried under an elm tree, and you will never find it. How dare you ask that too? God damn it, Dan! Actually, I've, re- <laughs> I've, I've given you too much information already. It's your personal medical information. Yeah, that's right. Where I bury which elm tree I bury my heart under. The hideous heart. Um, it's. I, I will say the medically correct thing on left of center of my chest. Yeah, for most people, it's on the left hand side. Yes, for one in ten thousand people, all their organs are back to front mm. or side to side. I guess mirrored. Mirrored. Yes, mm. and for some identical twins, they are mirror images of each other. What? What? Yeah, keep an eye on those guys. Ah, oh, that's, I don't like, you know, I have a problem with twins already. So, yeah. Uh, yep. Mm. Yep. I knew, I knew ah. this mirror thing would send you off. They're like, they're like even worse twins. You might as well just give one a goatee at that point. Just go, you're evil. Just stop hiding yeah. it. Uh, uh, twins, now, twins, uh, twins. Sorry, t- sorry, twins listening. Oh God, identical twins. I just, give me the creeps. I'm sure you're lovely people, but. Well, one of you is at least. Yeah, well, that's obviously one. One, one has a soul, and the other one is is a homunculus that needs to be burnt. I it just haven't been able to work out which one's which yet. Uh, hi, welcome to our science podcast. I wonder if they know. Oh, they know. Oh, maybe they don't. Know. <laughs> oh God! Now, this is, now we got onto. Now I'm ready. <laughs> By the way, our mental health was fine after pandemics. Anyway, twins should all be burnt. Thank you. <laughs> so for most of us, the heart is on the left, and my mm. question was why. Like our arms are mirrored, our mm. legs are. Mm-hmm. We are mostly symmetrical creatures on the outside. Mm. Why is our heart on one side, and what takes up the space in the torso on the other side of our torso? Mm. Like, is one lung bigger than the other? Why? 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 So it turns out our heart is actually dead center of the body. Ooh. 
kind of, but it's got the in bit on one side and the out bit on yes. the other side. Mm. Now, if you imagine that your job was to pick up the old blood in your right hand and then pass it to your left hand and squeeze it with all of your might to push out the new blood, eventually the, your left side would be stronger than your right side. Your right side would be all feeble because it just accepts the blood. Your left side mm. would be massive and like full of biceps and stuff. <laughs> okay, so this is what happens to the heart. It doesn't need much strength to accept the blood but it needs heaps of strength to push it out the other side so that it spurts through the rest of the body. <laughs> so a heart sits in the middle of the body, but is much bigger on one side. He's like, he's like the guy from the lady, lady in the lady in the water, lady in the lake. No, the lady in the, yeah, the lady in the water, the, the, the M night Shyamalan movie, the one that no one likes. And he's got a, I don't remember any of that film. He's got a big, he's, he only works on his one, his right arm and it's a big, massive right arm. And his left arm's like a normal human arm. Yes, there you go. Yep, yep, he is like a human heart. He's a human heart, got it. So this heart of ours impinges on our left lung. This lung actually has a divot in it that allows the heart to take up that space. Not only is our heart asymmetrical, but now our lungs are too. So does this mean that one lung is bigger than the other lung? No, because our left lung stretches down further than the right lung. So we have one tall, skinny lung and one short, fat lung. But now we have space under the right lung. What goes there? That's where the liver goes. Uh. It's on the right-hand side. So you could be the prettiest, most symmetrical person on the outside. And inside, you're like one of those puzzle boxes where when you tip it out, there's only one way to put the pieces back in. Yeah. And eventually you just give up and you put it back into the into the cupboard with the hole and a pointy bit yeah. sticking out. And when they discover you, that you're trying a new hobby, everyone starts screaming and screaming. They won't stop screaming and call you a monster. And then you have to run and then you have to change your name and start a podcast with, with your new friends who you find. Oh, it's like, it's a whole thing. I think one of us has got their metaphors crossed. Oh. You know what bugs me? Sasquatch or Bigfoot, who is who? It's all going down at the Cryptozoo. Al Batson. Hmm? What bugs you is Al Batson? He's hmm? a he's a valuable member of our Patreon. How dare you, Dan? How dare you? I'll stand up for Al. Al, Dan doesn't like you, but I do. Oh, uh, stop. Oh, I'm cutting it. I'm cutting it. Genius. Al Batson sent me an idea for a Cryptozoo so long ago that he has no idea what this is about. <laughs> He said, at the bus interchange near the Queensland Museum is a giant glass-winged metal Ooh. cicada. Are you familiar with the cicada at all? They come out at certain times of the year, they or they every couple yep. of years, and then they yep. come up, they all scream and rub their legs together, and then they shed, they molt. That's right. They 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 um they molt they molt they their skins, and then they have they have these little casings everywhere. I used to collect them as a kid. Yes. Are you familiar with the big one at the Queensland Museum? I am not. No, it is It is not very – I hate to say it, it is not a high priority here in Western Australia. Oh, it's been – it was here when you lived here. Oh, okay. I and it, it is massive. I ignored it then too. It's huge. It's the size of a bus. Right. Mm. And he asks, if there was a cicada that size, what noise would it make? <laughs> Now, giant bugs have been a mainstay of cinema since the 50s, mm. partly because humans have evolved a strong reaction to bug behaviour. Buried in our brains, we have an almost preternatural ability to detect scuttling. <laughs> it puts our attention into high alert. 
which when we pair that up with what we know about carcinization is bad news for humans long term. <laughs> I, I always assume that was just because our brains are very good at trajectories. Like we've talked about throwing, we're very good at throwing things or you, th- you throw stronger than chimps and all the rest. And so we're very good at working out trajectories. So we know where things are go, where the, in the future, where something's going to go. If your brain goes, that thing on the ground or on the wall or whatever it is, or in the air is going to go in this direction. When it doesn't, we find that very upsetting. Our brain's like, whoa, no, no, no. I've worked all this out. You can't do that. You filthy, filthy thing. I hate you. Well, I quite like that idea. I quite like that hypothesis. Hmm. I think that's what it is. That's why, that's why we don't like people like spiders, yeah. big and hairy, but not just that. It's because they could go left, right, up, down, leap, forward. You don't know where they're going to go at any moment. You just Your brain just can't quite fathom it. And therefore you're like, no, nah, I'm good. Yeah, they're good scuttlers, those guys. Damn, damn fine scuttlers. So we are alert to bugs, but are we genetically wired to fear them? Ooh. No, according to Dr. Jeffrey Lockwood, he is an entomologist who wrote a book called The Infested Mind, Why (laughs) Humans Fear, Loathe, and Love Insects. Hmm. And it turns out we fear insects because we've been trained to fear them. How the people react to bugs around, uh, around us trains us on how we should react to certain types of bugs. Sure. I didn't, I didn't even think hating, like fearing bugs was the thing. I, you go, oh, mosquitoes are annoying, but I don't fear them. I don't have any feelings towards bugs. Something goes into my, flies into my face, I will react. As, oh, God, something just fell, flew into my face. But that would be the same if it was a bird, a bug, a tennis ball. Like it's just the fact that something's hit my face. It's not the bug I'm feeling. Like I don't, I don't think I have a fear of bugs. Is that a common thing? Well, I would say that there are plenty of people who, if they saw a butterfly flying around through the house, would have a very different reaction to it if they saw a cockroach flying around the house. Yeah. I, Some yeah. people have very strong emotional reactions to certain types of bugs. Mm, okay. Some people go nuts. Insects. Flies are around. Should we not say bugs? Because bugs have, bugs have, um, it, it, bugs mean something. I think bug, doesn't bug mean it has like sucking mouth parts? Oh, maybe. Is a cicada a bug? It looks like a bug. I don't think it's a bug. I don't think a cicada is a bug. Huh. I don't think it is. But I, I'm now pulling on. We're all going to get walked of shame out of existence here. But I, I think that the term bug has a entomo- entomological uh, meaning. And I think it means something. And I think it's got something to do with sucking mouth parts. I don't think a cicada is a bug. It's an insect. It probably has both an entomological, entomological and Etymol- etymological. Wait, which is an etymological and an entomological. <laughs> like, that's one of the yeah. few things that you could say mm. has both an etymological and an entomological meaning. Yes. Yes. With the word bug. Yes. Probably. Yes. Well, yes. Look, I've is- been using it interchangeably as in, with insect for, for the purposes of this. Okay. Cool. All right. That's that. You, you might be right. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll discover it. Hey, if you're a bug expert or have asked chat GPT, then <laughs> send it in and let us know. This memetic information, this training from parent to child has been Mm. happening to humans for thousands of years Mm -hmm. where the memetic product of people who avoid the bugs that could cause us harm. Mm -hmm. Some animals are dangerous, bears and lions, but we still make cuddly toys out of them. Bugs and Mm. insects, on the other hand, are disgusting. They create disgust. Right. They make great movie villains, especially en masse. And good movie monsters play on an intrinsic human fear. Being eaten, like Jurassic Park or Dawn of the Dead, or being infected, like Aliens or Dawn of the Dead. (laughs) Tiny bugs can infect you. Giant ones can eat you. 
but you'll find movies like The Nest or Them, huge ants and cockroaches that thunder the ground as they walk. Mm. I'm amazed there hasn't been, because I've been watching the TV series Last of Us, which is all about fungal, you know, fungal zombies, so a fungus taking over the world yep. sort of thing. But I was wondering, why has no one made a terrible sci-fi about a wasps coming in and laying their eggs in you and then being eaten alive by their larvae? Blech. You know, wasps are, you know, they're, Oh yeah, because like, wasps are terrifying. And if you go well, if fung, if we can have a whole fungal zombie thing, why not have like a a wasp? Because wasps also mind control you to go do stuff. I think some of them do. No, or they no, no. paralyze the you. parasite. It's into the wasp. Oh, the, yeah, the wasp can paralyze a caterpillar and entomb yes. them yes. as living food, a living food source. But then, isn't there also a parasite that can get into a wasp that can control the wasp? Oh, maybe. Well, once again, I'm see this. This all sounds like useful fodder for a the smart ups and a better horror movie. We're going to write. It sounds great. We could call it yeah. Wasp. It's not just white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. You have to worry about. That's that's not the tagline. It's not. But how did you run out the? What did you run up the stairs instead of out the front door? Because we're smart enough to know better. That's a, <laughs> Does that work? Yeah. yeah, I think that works. Yeah. Anyway, urban dwellers. <laughs> have plenty of negative reactions to bugs like this because these are the bugs that we find in our home. They're the, they're the mm. intruder bugs. Mm. But in suburban and rural environments, there are more positively associated bugs like butterflies and praying mantises and cicadas. Right. A fact I learned recently about insects, I'd never heard this before, but it, it, it tickled me. A term people sometimes use for maggots is disco rice, so that larval form of yeah. insects. And, yeah. I, and I was like... When as soon as I heard that, I went, of course they're called disco rice, because rice, it's like wiggling around and ding, 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 ding. It amused me. Yep, I've described maggots as party rice before. <laughs> Sorry, go on, please. Yeah, the, frog princess, the, frog, the frog princess, when she finds maggots on the floor in mm. like the heat of summer when they've escaped the bin, that's someone having a full-body negative reaction <laughs> to, oh, uh, no. to insects. You do not like them. No. And she has a very strong reaction to uh, flies and cockroaches as well. Ah, interesting. Okay. One time that I've had a just a, a full-on panic attack style reaction, like a like not, not a panic attack, but like a reaction which I could not control, mm. was in the middle of summer in Scotland. They have these thing called biting midges. Oh yes, yes. Hundreds of them will attack, will land on your bare skin and start biting. Right, just like run, run and escape whatever the fuck this is. It was such an unsettling experience. You're like cattle, you get you get herded by the bugs. Like, yes, yeah, go that way. Mm. Yeah, right yep, the, they could right, definitely do that to me. Right into the I, wings of I, wasps. That's how they're gonna get you. I don't know if I could stand there and physically, like, logically go. These things are fine. Just let them bite you. I don't think I could do that. I think my, <laughs> I think. My okay. the lizard part of my brain would take over and just start clawing at my face. <laughs> Maybe the blood from under my skin will flood these midges away. That's what they're after. Yeah. Probably they're after. The, they're probably after the, your blood to they lay are eggs. After the blood because yeah. they can they can lay eggs and give birth to like a couple of dozen little Aww. midges. Or if they or if they bite you and get like a, a tiny droplet of blood, they can lay like. A thousand eggs. There you go. They're like jackpot. Yeah. And you're full of blood, Dan. Like just, and, 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 and my blood is amazing. My blood brings people back from the dead almost. There you go. My, my blood saves babies. Oh, I've got O neg blood. Ah, yes. And 
with, so I'm the universal donor, and there's also a type of virus that you can have that means that you can't donate your blood to babies, and I don't have that virus. Mm. So I have donated my blood and saved the life of many, many, many babies. So I'm off the hook so far as that goes, I reckon. <laughs> Being childless, yeah, but I saved your baby, so that's. Oh, I see. Right, right. I see what you're saying. I thought you meant you can now go commit terrible crimes because you saved a lot of babies. It all evens out on the scale, on Osiris's scale, on on Set's scale. Whatever, whoever whoever measures your soul as you go to the Egyptian afterlife, the uh, wouldn't be Set. That hadn't occurred to me, but I suppose so. Yeah, like the more babies that I save from death, yes. Like you can push a lot of old people off a cliff or something. The more I could say tax uh, evade, yeah, or <laughs> or like sign up to the Murdoch streaming service. <laughs> exactly. Like if I'm sitting there going, no, I'm not going to pay Murdoch because yep. he's a danger to our democracy. But it's like, oh yeah, but I saved a bunch of babies. I can I can watch Game of Thrones and Taskmaster. I'd like to say that I've made it my mission in life to have a record of every person I know with O negative. And I've so I've known you've had O negative for a very long time. I know exactly who has O negative around me uh, in my friendships and family groups. And I thank you for your future service. <laughs> Aren't you a universal no acceptor? No, no, no. I'm an A positive baby. <laughs> I'm quite a rare one, a not, not not um, A plus like everything else I oh, do in yeah. life. So I'm not I'm not even I'm not a super rare one, but I'm rare I'm rarer than most. Like B's B's Fair are enough. much more negative. So I need to know where the O the O negatives are, and I do. I here in Perth in Brisbane, I know exactly where you are at all times. There, I can find you on my Find Blood app and send the ambulance to your door very very quickly. Is that what this scar on my neck is? <laughs> you thought it was a midget, didn't that you? That was, <laughs> I lost a couple of days and suddenly I had this scar. <laughs> you never went to Scotland. Okay, so, so. male cicadas make a lot of noise. Mm. Just oh, like that's right, we're doing a crypto zoo. <laughs> oh, God, that's right, that's what we're doing. Please go on. Oh, yeah. Uh, cicadas are the loudest insect in the world. If you got the loudest cicada and let it do its song next to your eardrum, you could end up with hearing damage within two minutes. This sound has two purposes. It's a chitinous booty call. They're saying, let's fuck. Number two, there is a theory that because it's an overwhelming amount of noise and because they group together like anchovies, predators can only pick off one or two before the discomfort of the noise becomes too much. Uh, it's like teenagers. Yep. Yep. You can only pick off a couple of them and then you're like, oh, uh, God, stop saying like every fourth word. <laughs> That's like totally not cool, man. Oh, I'm not going to kill any more of you. I've lost my, I've lost my urge to kill. <laughs> Now, crickets rub their legs together, but cicadas have a mechanism called the timble. It's a membrane in their abdomen. Uh, you know those fun bendy straws, how you can sort of bend it and it goes, mm-hmm. duck, 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 and you can drink oh. sideways? Yep. <laughs> well, uh, not anymore. Not allowed to. Or oh, not plastic ones. Are they, are they paper ones? You can't have. No, I don't think so. You can't have single use plastic, Dan. You monster. Go rescue another baby immediately. Yeah. Don't worry. I've started up a save the turtles crypto block. <laughs> Oh, God. Cryptocurrency block. So I'll save the turtles that way. The bendy straws, (laughs) when you pull it over, it makes a bunch of popping sounds as Mm. you move it. Mm. So the timble is like one of those little ribs. They move it back and forth thousands of times a second. That's easier to do when you're three centimetres long. Three centimetres, for our American listeners, is about the length of your average cicada. (laughs) 
The cicada in Brisbane is about eight metres long. That's slightly over 250 times longer, Mm. taller and wider. And that's around 15 and a half million times the volume. Mm. Bugs can Mm. get pretty big. Goliath beetles can get pretty heavy. They're about 11 centimetres long and can weigh about the same as a deck of playing cards. Dick insects can get long. The longest recorded was 62.4 centimetres. That's Mm. like two feet. And two feet is one-third of the amount of feet that stick insects have. <laughs> bugs. <laughs> bugs have been even bigger in the past. <laughs> yes. It's funny, isn't it? The, the fact that we have to do, like, some sort of yep. nod to the conversion for measurement. Thank you very much. Yeah. America. And Namibia. System. Don't just blame. And don't just blame. Still- it's also Namibia. So and we stand in solidarity with our Namibian listeners. <laughs> No. Bugs have been even bigger in the past. Cockroach-like creatures as big as a house cat, dragonflies mm. with the wingspan like a hawk. Mm-hmm. And dragonflies are the most effective hunters on the planet. They have a kill success rate of 96%. Recently, I was in Adelaide in South Australia for Speed, the movie, the play. Well, that sounds well written. And it's, it's, it was amazingly well written. It's, it's great. And especially all the changes we made. No, no. Um, they're, they're not great. No. The... But there was, <laughs> but as the sun, as the sun went down, then there would be mosquitoes. You go, oh, so many mosquitoes. It's a very, it's all, and then, so then the dragonflies would go and it's our time to shine. And these dragonflies would turn up and you'd watch them. And the idea they can move in six axes of control and just back forwards, upside down. They're just taking mozzies out of the sky. And then about 30, you get 20 minutes of that. This is why the show is going on. So I should have really been watching the show, but I was kind of like watching the, the ballet of death above me. And then the bats migrate to go home to roost and the, the flying foxes, like big bats. And then all the dragonflies went, no, no, we don't want to be here anymore because those bats, they, it was really fun to watch. You're like, okay, mozzies, dragonflies, bats, no more dragonflies. They're, like, they're all out of here. They, they had a very small window of time to grab the mozzies. It was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, watching dragonflies fly and hunt is amazing there's nothing else in the same sky i was watching dragonflies which are amazing amazing aerial acrobatics i was watching birds which fly real well and i was watching flying foxes which are really crap at flying (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if you remember years ago we interviewed dr jen uh she was a bat expert and she was talking about flying foxes and microbats Mm. and macrobats and the thing I remember from that specifically is that people say, well, you know, we're the missing link sort of thing in, in evolution. And you go, well, bats are very early in their, they're not very good flyers. They're not very good. They're, they're quite clumsy mm. and not energy efficient flyers. So it's kind of like they've not been like a gazelle with a jetpack. <laughs> yes, they're, they're just not very good at it. So evolution is always, it does what it needs to do. But you could look at that and say, well, maybe one day they could become better flyers. But right now, birds kick their asses in flight and dragonflies kick birds' asses. Anyway, dragonflies are cool. Mm. Uh, now, one reason we had bigger insects 300 million years ago was that there was more oxygen in the atmosphere. Yes. Insects do not have lungs. They breathe through their skin. They can move air into their respiratory system, but the bigger they are, the less effective that mechanism becomes. Spiracules, these little holes from their exo-armor into their, into their body cavities. I think called spiracules. It's oh, okay. 
Is that right? S-P-I-R-A-C-U-L-E-S. It rings a bell. Once again, walk of shame me. I don't mind people. But yeah, it's a hole. Basically, they're not breathing. They don't they don't suck it in. It's, it just has to permeate through the body. Yeah. Now, they, they do have a mechanism that kind of does guide air into it. Right. But okay. yeah, they don't have like lungs to sort of heave it into them. No. So if you can have a higher oxygen level in the atmosphere, then you can have a more energetic system. Therefore, you can have bigger body mass and therefore you... Yeah. So when there was twice as much oxygen in the atmosphere, insects could breathe easier. But if they get twice as heavy, they don't get twice as much surface area. No, no, that's right. Yes, yeah, so they start getting a diminishing return. I'm interested because yeah. it, it was getting up to like, well, we're at 20, 23% oxygen roughly, I think. And I think it got up to like 30, 33 or 32, something like that. Yeah, it was, it was low 30s. Low 30s. And the problem there was... It was getting to the point where fires become real easy. So now, once again, you've got another control mechanism. If everything burns down, you can't (laughs) – if if the whole atmosphere is constantly burning things or allowing ignition to happen, that's real bad. So it's kind of like it can't get much higher in our atmosphere without the whole atmosphere not burning, but but everything just being on fire on the ground. So – yeah. Yeah. So you probably wouldn't get dragonflies any bigger than that, uh, insects much bigger than that, what I'm trying to say. No. Well, there's a, there's a maximum size limit to how big an insect can get mm. that is purely limited to the amount of oxygen in the atmosphere. Mm. But it's theorized that before you reach that limit, like if you tr- kept increasing the oxygen and didn't care about the fires, <laughs> that uh, before you reach that limit, you would run into a problem of the insect's exoskeleton crushing it under yeah. its own weight. Yes. I wonder though, that's, yes, I mean, we talked about, you talked, you've mentioned before, because surface area versus volume. It's, it's, volume, yep. Yeah. So your, your volume is cubed and your surface area is squared. So that if you double, things in size, the volume gets much bigger, much faster, and therefore your legs break. That's why you kind of elephants can't get much bigger, and that's why we have big things in the ocean, because they don't need to support their weight in the same way. I do wonder though, like something like a turtle, they make a big, big shell, they joined it all together so that it was all support themselves. I wonder if you could get a bigger insect, if there was an evolutionary advantage if you suddenly had buttresses inside the insect. Because it's, it's all goop inside with organs and things. Mm. And then if you just had buttresses inside that that led from one part of the carapace to the other part of the carapace internally, would that actually allow you to have a bigger insect than they have now? Well, that brings us to our eight-metre-long cicada. It would need to have very strong legs. Mm. It would almost certainly be flightless. I do like your notion that buttresses could help out. Mm. It would still need to have buff running through the centre. Yes. But, yeah, Yeah. it would need to be somehow reinforced without – adding to its weight too much. Yeah. It would need to live in an oxygen-rich environment and have a respiratory system unseen in insects before Mm. in order to drag that in. Without all of this, we know exactly what sound that giant cicada would make, and that would be silence. (laughs) But if it were a viable creature, we could estimate what it would sound like. Mm. Can I have a guess? So... It would be lower. It would, yeah. Because it's very, very big. This is just me just thinking about it. It's, it's very, very big. So we keep talking about how oh, it's be loud, and it may be loud. It might be. But also I think in my mind that the pitch would drop so that you so you get a deeper noise. Instead of going, it'd be, it ought to be a lower drone, and it'd get really deep and maybe even like infrasonic. Infrasonic? It's like, like below human hearing. It would just be this very loud in amplitude, but – in a, a sound we couldn't hear, maybe. 
a rumbly noise. Uh, like how elephants communicate across long distance. Yes, yes, yes. That's the thing. So that infrasound, that undersound, under 20, 20 hertz. So we mm. can't we can't pick it up with our ears. Yeah. Well, in order to make this noise, it would need to vibrate its timbal. Mm. In a standard-sized cicada, that would be like an eighth of a millimetre thick. Our giant cicada would have a membrane around three centimetres thick, like a piece of PVC piping as thick as your thumb. Mm. Each time it snapped back and forth, it would sound like a pile driver. Oof. <laughs> so how fast could it go? We vibrate our vocal cords around 110 kilohertz. Mm-hmm. Elephants vibrate theirs at around 12 kilohertz. But 12 kilohertz is actually how fast a normal cicada call is. It's 12,000 oscillations, right. but of a hard membrane rather than soft vocal folds with air rushing past them. Mm-hmm. So at this point, listeners, we're getting into material science. So take everything with a <laughs> massive grain of salt. These are 100% scientific guesses. Is it like, but, most, but is it, are we still saying it's a biological creature or is it, it's a metal creature? It's a biological okay, creature. Okay. All right. Cool. The size of that cicada. Right. Understood. So if you wanted to move a three centimeter thick PVC membrane, you'd need something like a <laughs> jackhammer to move it. Like these are the two sort of forces we're working with. Yeah. A jackhammer runs at 25 hertz. That's 25 strikes per second. Mm-hmm. So this would be maybe a, even a little bit slower. If you wanted to get a sense of what this creature would sound like, you could take a jackhammer up on top of a shipping container, weld it to the surface, and <laughs> then just go ham. <laughs> this is what our cicada would roughly sound like. But they usually make this sound in swarms. When Oof. they make this sound by themselves, it makes them easy targets for predators. Yes. So it would only be making this sound for a short time before it was gobbled up by a, by a currawong the size of an Airbus A380. <laughs> That's a whole different crypto zoo. Whole different crypto zoo. It's crypto zoos all the way up. I wonder, I, I just quickly checked it then, a jackhammer is about 130 decibels, so that's really loud. So just, so just to give you an idea, a jet engine is about 140 decibels at takeoff. So it's getting close to a, well, I shouldn't say it's getting close to, because remember, if you go up by 10, you're doubling, doubling the, it's, it's uh, logarithmic. So it's, it's actually a lot higher when you go up by, when you go from 130 to 140. But in the end, I'm just trying to work out, I, do know that the loudest possible sound is about 190 decibels, he says. It's like um, going to warp in Star Trek. Like it keeps every every next bit is like needs so much more yes. energy again. It's yes. so much harder to do. Yep. And then and there's a limit where it's or the speed of light. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, no. See what you're saying. So, yeah, two, two mixed up things there. Yes. As on the sound scale, if you go up, I, I, oh, I feel I'm, oh, goodness, I feel I'm going to say this wrong. But um, if you go from 100 decibels to 110 decibels, you're not going up by 10 percent or 11. Yeah. You're actually you're doubling by 10 times. Yeah. Yeah. It's doubling. Uh, I think it's doubling. I think it's doubling. But um, maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong there. But that's yeah, it's a lot more. It's 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 logarithmic. It's got logarithmic. It's, it's, mm. it's log 10. Anyway. Um, that'd be log two. I've got the math all wrong here, but it's a lot more. I'm trying to say it's a lot more. God, I should know this. I just, it's early in the morning. God, I'm, I'm frustrated. I, I've screwed it up. Anyway, it doesn't matter. 
Um, but no, it's not the fact that you, you're going to the infinite level. It's literally when you get to 194 in our atmosphere, uh, which we, I'm assuming this, this bug lives, the, uh, right. the atmosphere itself, because sound wave is actually a compression wave. So it's the energy is moving the air molecules or the, or in the metal. In this case, we're talking about air uh, at, at sea level and it has to vibrate it. In the end, the amount of energy pushed into the atmosphere is so great that it actually causes vacuums to form. It, it cannot ah. vibrate the air anymore faster than that. It can't. So, so it's it, limited by the medium. By the medium. So you can get a louder sound if it was uh, yelling inside a uh, water. It'd be louder again. I don't know, like 200 and something decibels. And if it was stuck in steel and wasn't, you know, dead, then it could even be louder again because you, you, you can vibrate it. But in the end, it just becomes a shockwave anyway. So it, de- it defines how you define sound. At that point, it's just a shockwave. Right. Because at some point you stop being able to hear because your ears explode. Well, there is that, yes. If, if the, so I don't know if it would get that loud because 194 is very, very, very loud. We just talked about before. If a jackhammer is 130, 194 is a long way away from it. But if we're talking about it, yeah, I'm interested. The tree falls in the forest and someone's had their ears blown out <laughs> by a jackhammer. It's true. Does, 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 it, does it make a sound? I think if it, well, people want us to make this experiment happen, get a jackhammer onto a shipping container, they can join our Patreon That'd be a good use of the money. <laughs> and we can make it a cool cicada-looking thing in the centre of Brisbane. Oh, man. Well, why don't we just get the cicada that's already there and then rig up a uh, a shipping container and a And hit it with a jackhammer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, okay, we're done. That's it. Get onto the council. We're done. They're going to love it. science, baby. <laughs> Cut to news of uh, two men were arrested today, jackhammering a giant cicada. They said they were smart enough to do better. We hear it. Queensland News don't think they were. <laughs> Listener Eric got in contact with me and gave me a story about terrifying rocks and in how these scientists had found... Terrifying rocks? They were ter- they were ter- the only terrifying rocks I know are the ones that when you hold them, you get cancer. <laughs> yes, yes, and, and yep, true, from, from the radiation. In- indeed, yes. Uh, oh, but- and I guess dropping on you from above. That could be true. Well, you have a moment of terror. That's true. Is it the rock that's terrifying yeah. or is it just the harsh mistress that is physics? Mm. If rocks are dropping around you, they're ter- that's a terrifying scenario. True, true. Well, these rocks are just on the ground and they're terrifying. And these geologists were like, oh, my goodness, terrifying rocks. I'll get into why they were terrifying. But to me, it felt also like that thing you always read about. Scientists baffled, especially astronomers. Astronomers are always baffled. I've never seen a baffled astronomer. I've, I've worked with them for a very long time. I've never seen a baffled one. I've seen an interested one or, a, or I've, I've discovered something, but never like, <laughs> baffled has a meaning for me of like, <laughs> I, I, but yes, I've never seen a baffled astronomer before uh but the news loves to say even when their email won't work like that's when i come across baffled people in professional things is like ah it, my email was working yesterday and now it keeps telling me i've got a php error dan's being funny because i couldn't log into my mail and now he's just calling me out on the podcast so I'm, I'm not going to rise to it. I'm going to be the bigger person and say, I love you, Dan. You're a good friend of mine. And I, and I, your jokes are just there as for comedy bits and you're not being mean to me at all. Quite delightfully, I was actually referring to my actual clients from work and I'd forgotten all about that, but I, I love a confluence of events. I love a bit of serendipity. <laughs> ah, damn it. <laughs> I just, I just, I just outed myself. God damn it. I wasn't baffled. I was, no, I was pretty baffled. Anyway, so. <laughs> the point of this is that the rocks weren't terrifying, but, but. Podcaster flummoxed. <laughs> See, 
I, I was definitely flummoxed. I just wasn't baffled. Uh, baffled also kind of, <laughs> baffled also means that I like the idea of me being baffled. It's kind of like, welcome to the podcast. I'm Greg there and uh, I've been totally baffled. That was a, a sound joke, an audio joke for the podcast. So astronomers, ostensibly everything they're working with is baffled by the vacuum of space. If they were trying to detect sound, yes, but they're not. It's light. It's light doesn't care for a medium. It doesn't matter. It's its own medium, baby. Electromagnetism just goes through space. It doesn't need, doesn't need an ether, though after talking to Professor Peter Quinn, they seem real desperate on discovering an ether, but we won't go there. We we, we won't talk about that. <laughs> that, that that'll be coming up in the next podcast, well, a podcast in the future. Tune in for that one about dark energy. Anyway, what am I talking about? So Eric wanted to point out the story about these terrifying rocks. And why they were terrifying is there's the, these um, glutinous rocks now. Glutinous rocks? So um, a new type of rock. Glutinous? N- not, not glutinous, no. So ah, I've got the Glutinous. Um, basically, oh. they're uh, plastiglomerates. There you go. Plastiglomerate rocks. Oh, I know about plastiglomerates. Oh. That's a new type of rock. It's <laughs> not made out of silicon like a sucker or out of <laughs> steel or me- like metal and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a man-made rock. We should be pr- proudly standing up and saying, we made plastiglomerates. And so a plastic, you're absolutely right. It's not just plastic. So plastic, it's in the name, plastiglomerate, and to c- conglomerate. Because you get conglomerates of rocks. So things get, you know, different materials get, you know, crushed up and turn into, heated up and turn into yeah. rocks. That, that, that's how you get metamorphic rocks, right? Metamorphic rocks aren't conglomerates. That's something different. Metamorphic rocks is when you heat a basalt or a granite over a long period of time and it chemically transforms. So it takes a long time. You could get conglomerates made of right. bits of pieces but, of metamorphic and basalt, but conglomerates just different pieces of rock. Once again, not a geologist, right. uh, but this plastic conglomerate is because the name plastic, we put a lot of plastic into the environment. Mm-hmm. And in this case, in Trinidad, it's because they use nets and to fish like a lot of people do, and they wash up on the beach, they get lost and they cut them free and then they wash up on the beach. And due to the heat over time, they actually melt and then they join up other bits and pieces around them because now you've got a rock that is made of plastic and made of rock. And so it's conglomerated I plastic. I thought it was because of the pressure at the bottom of the ocean. Um, not according to well, – look, that could be a thing, but according to this story, All right. these nets were – it's the heat and the type of plastic of the net is on the beach as these rocks are forming. But I don't see why not. The, the pressure would also push plastics but together. Because if it's just – if they're just melting under the sun – then that's just making melted plastic, you would think. And but it's conglom- Whereas plastiglomerate is it's joining it all together. It, it's the glue that's holding all the bits of rock together. So it's, it's ah, I it's, see. It's a, it's a conglomerate of rocks. I see what you're saying, and pressure could possibly well, well could do the same thing. But that's not what this story is about. I'd have to go look that up. Right. I'll, I'll just stay with what I, what I've read here. So that's an interesting thing, and we've sort of discovered now that we've got plastic everywhere. And there's plastic in the oceans and there's microplastic in our water and we're discovering it in our cells because we use a lot of plastic. We don't know if that's bad. Yeah. Uh, we have no idea. There's, we're doing an experiment on the planet like we like humans. I don't like saying that because humans are a natural thing on the planet. We're not unnatural. We're, we are part of the world. But we're adding plastics and we don't know if that's bad. It's definitely bad for like animals that want to eat things and eat plastic instead of then die. But we don't know yet mm. the impacts putting plastic everywhere. Um, but Eric wanted to know, one of his questions was, how long, if we all suddenly got eaten by giant cicadas, how long before 
there'd be no evidence of humans on the planet that we were ever here? Oh, that's a good question. That's a hard question to answer. Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot. To begin with, I was like, oh, yeah, I know the answer to that. And then I went, I don't wait. And every time I looked into it or thought about it, I, I, I got deeper and deeper. So what's what's your thoughts on that, Dan? Because I, I, I don't have a def- definite answer here I've because no one does. We can't. But I've done some research no. now online and, and talked to people about it. I'm intrigued what you think. I watched a really great documentary where it talked about like the first month mm. of this happening. Mm. And immediately you have like power stations melting down Mm -hmm. and, oh no, sorry. No, sorry. Dams breaking. Mm -hmm. And because there's someone always regulating that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then within a year, you end up with a lot of your nuclear reactors melting down. Mm -hmm. Um, they just shut down anyway. (laughs) You also have like your roads break up really quickly. Yeah. Within like a year without any maintenance and without cars going over and wrecking the the seeds, all the grass seeds get in and just tear it into pieces. Mm. And within 10 years, everything's a jungle, Mm. but there are things that are going to last longer, Mm. but things are going to fall apart much faster than you realize. Yeah. A lot of civil, I agree that a lot of civilization, your roads, anyone who's lived in any rural area, anyone who's lived in Queensland, in North Queensland, Please fix the Bruce Highway. It's a constant problem. They're constantly going up and down it, trying to fix it or not. Uh, they're constantly painting the Story Bridge and the Sydney Harbour Bridge. They paint to one side, they paint back the other way because otherwise that's those built, they, those giant coat hangers that cross the river will rust. They'll die very, very quickly. Mm. It's, so I think all the metal stuff would break down pretty quickly. Yeah, it would definitely rust. Definitely, definitely, definitely rust. Yeah. Our concrete may last a long time comparatively. So concrete would break up. A lot, I reckon, There's, but it used to get big chunks of concrete for thousands of years. Yes, I, I, I think, but it's always going to be getting broken up by weather effects, and and as it depends in which environment too, mm-hmm. because in a tropical environment you would have a lot of heat and moisture. In a, an environment which, which jumped back and forth, like Minnesota, for instance, you would have the constant cycle of freezing and thawing, yeah, yeah. which breaks things apart really effectively. Especially if you have like rebar in the centre of it, you get the, the metal expanding at a different rate to the concrete and suddenly you start having these gaps forming and then it just all falls off and the rebar which keeps it strong. And then the rebar rusts yeah. and then the water gets inside and then it just snaps it apart. Yeah. So it's, But plastic mm. is... plastic lasts a long time very long time so let's let's get to plastic later on i just I, so here, here are the numbers i've been trying to find so within about mm-hmm. 500 years from space everything would just be covered in plants or go back to what we consider it would look from a, from space pristine you would probably not find much evidence of humanity after 500 years but they would discover if it's uh, the alien races or whatever whoever you would find subterranean things a lot more. So, so you'd find ICBM silos and stuff. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking of those. Um, things like the pylons into the ground to keep up giant skyscrapers. You have to do a lot of underground work. Oh, so, right. so foundations, what I'm looking for. So big, strong foundations that go deep in, they wouldn't be as affected by temperature as much. And yes, there'd be water in some of them. Of course, obviously the planet Earth is a very varied thing, but they would probably last a bit longer. Mm. People sort of think. You're talking about the shutdowns of nuclear reactors. Yes, there would probably be radiation, but you may not notice that. It may just look natural. Like you may not go, oh, there's a big problem. Like if, if you, it would just look like radiation and it wouldn't be like so much radiation that 
it would destroy, kill all the animals or something. It would just be bad in areas, which is, mm. it, I never just be a more cancery place. Maybe, yes, maybe this, this is a, a side note here. Chernobyl, so not, not what's happening in mm-hmm. Chernobyl now with the Russian slash Ukrainian war, but Chernobyl, when it melted down, like, well, that problem. And everyone was like, oh, Europe is gone. Like, we're all going to get cancer. And yes, it did increase cancer rates. We've talked on this podcast before. In fact, you get more cancer rates from boning coal than the, from the Chernobyl disaster in Europe because of the cancerous stuff reduced ah. in coal. But that's a high, neither here nor there. What's really interesting is Chernobyl has actually, the area around Chernobyl was denuded to people. They got people out, of course, but it's actually mm-hmm. gone back to normal faster than anyone thought. There are hot spots and things, but it's really interesting how quickly animals return to the area and like within our, within our lifetime, it's, you wouldn't want to live there because there are some, still some dangerous points. And of course, you know, the, the reactor itself is not great and covered over, but it's not as it's a wasteland as you'd probably think. In fact, you can, you can do tourism there. You can go and visit Chernobyl and maybe not now, but. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Yeah. That, and there are things like don't leave the road. Like the road is safer yes. than going into where the plants and stuff have absorbed the radiation yes. and stuff like that. And there that. are hot spots supposedly. Um, so there are hot spots in around Chernobyl where you just go for some reason in this area, this 200 meter area here, square meters is don't go in there. That would be bad, but go over, not in that area. And it's kind of fine. And you're like, why? And they go, we shoot, we yeah. assume there's something. And that big metal bucket over there. Don't go close yes. to that. Cause they, they use that during the cleanup. And it's a yeah. mess. And, and animals have worked out. Anyway, we're getting way off, way off sideways here, but I found it really interesting. So once again, just like human, we talk about human brains being more resilient than we thought or mental health being resilient. The planet is very resilient as well, actually, which is, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, That's very reassuring. Yes. Like I doubt humans are ever going to destroy the world, going to damage it and change it. But I think it'll always be here. We're not going to destroy the biosphere. It just won't be as pleasant or nice as we have it today, you know, which is bad. Hmm. So with things like fire and vegetation and earthquakes and everything, then signs of humanity would be gone within a couple of millennia. Like even the ones underground would, would be wrecked and ruined and you wouldn't know anymore that it was a foundation. Mm-hmm. All the metal would have rusted. Aluminium will probably last a long time because aluminium is, does, that's why we use it. It's light. It, it doesn't corrode. So you're probably going to find oh. for a long time a forest and then you'll find this crushed pot of aluminium. It's going to be all plain hulls will last a really long time, longer than steel or yeah, iron. Or some uh, public sculptures. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like that big bean in Chicago. There'll be just forest and a giant reflective bean. Yeah, yes. Oh, bean. Oh, yeah. So, 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 I know what you meant. Yeah, that's right. Yes, exactly. Those be these weird things. And, but even they will break down in the end and even they will be smashed up and things will happen to them and bits and pieces. You won't see them, but it will take a long time. Another one which I hadn't thought about is if you have tectonically stable areas, like where I live in Western Australia, it's one of the, it's the second oldest part of the planet on the surface anyway. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a craton. So you have the Western Australian craton and you have the African craton first. So it's like the, the proto continent. And it's like the stable area of the mantle that formed and it's still there today. And at Western Australia, land is four billion years old or something bizarre like that. Like it's Germany really old. So if you dig a tunnel through that, which we have, then it's tectonically very stable in Western Australia. It won't be forever, but those mine shafts are going to last a really long time after humans go because nothing's going to shake them. The craton's going to survive. Nothing's going to move or change. It may get buried and filled up with something, but that's still evidence that someone did that or something did that. It wasn't, it wouldn't look natural mm. if you could find it. It would be a, a weird 
network, you may think a giant cicada did it. So Horizon Zero Dawn was kind of prescient. Yes, that yeah, the game. Yes, yes. About yeah, how about the, with the robots? Yes, that, I can't remember how many years that's set in the future, but it's it's about three thousand, I think. Okay, yeah, you probably wouldn't get after three thousand years. I'd be surprised if there were still bits of cities around, but that's okay. That's that's fine. I wouldn't I wouldn't think. I think they wouldn't, because in that game, you have these kind of big skyscrapers after thousands of years. That would, yeah, be su- yeah. that would be surprising to me. Anyway, let's move on to plastic. Plastic is the big one here. It's not going to break down. And when the dinosaurs were wiped out, the comet that destroyed the dinosaurs, one of the evidence of that wasn't plastic, but it was indium. So there's a layer of indium, which is quite rare on Earth, but there's like a layer, because when this comet hit... Mm. It, it would be amazing if it was plastic. Like, the implications <laughs> of that... Are astounding. We'd be attacked by Cybertron at that point. It'd be like Megatron through a through a, to wipe out the dinosaurs yep. or something. Yeah. So what I'm saying is a layer of indium. We can we can go. Oh, that layer of indium is is based on this. It came from space. But Transformers wouldn't have plastic in their components. Why not? They wouldn't have access to it because they're all metal. There's no. There was no organic. There's no organic oh, life on goodness, Cybertron. They, they don't have oil. Point. Yeah, they've got no oil. Well, they have energy on. Anyway, let's not go there. This is, that's a crypto zoo for another time. The, the idea is that, that you're right. The plastics are going in the ocean. They're going to get compressed down. And there's an idea that we'll have a, after the Anthropocene, like if we all white dived out and the Anthropocene of the era that humans have, have created, there may be a layer of plastic that a future archaeologist could find and go, ah, this is where humanity had a lot of plastics and it's just built into the rocks now. It's just a, a rock layer. And that would take a very, very long time to be subducted back into the mantle. So there could be evidence mm. of human humanity on some trace level on a layer around the planet for millions of years, if not more, hundreds of millions of years. I've mentioned this in the past that it would be so lovely. Eventually aliens will come to the planet and the sun will already have digested the planet and it'll just be a dusty, dim shell of a planet. But then hidden underground is the signature of humans. Yeah, the uh, evidence, yeah. A, a spiralling plane of, of a completely unique substance in a big, dark, empty universe that says, we were here. Yeah, this idea of oh, we're going to have a plastic layer. When I read this, I'm like, oh, yeah, plastic layer. But then... I thought about it a bit longer and I, I have a, it may not be there. It may not form that way, but even if it formed, because one of the reasons oil has formed and, and coal has formed like it did is because of the conditions, like wet conditions, warm conditions, plants falling into them. That's what you need to form these things. Mm-hmm. But at the start, the lignum that the cell walls of the plants couldn't be broken down by the fungi and that sort of stuff back then. And that they learnt to eat it later. So there, there was a period of time. Mm. Yes, oil is, I used to think oil wasn't being created. Once we talk this on the podcast, but oil is being created, but very, 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 very slowly on, on earth now. But it was all kind of created mm. in a very short period of 100 million years or so. All the oil was all kind of created in yep. this big, big area because of it took a while for bacteria and fungi to go, okay, we, we're going to break into this lignum and use it as an energy source. Therefore, the trees just got compressed into these swamps. Built up. Yeah, that's right. Went, well, went, not, not even the trees, but the, but the vegetation, like the low-lying true. vegetation stuff. I think there were, I think there were trees at that point. I think, or tree-like things. There were tall things then. But once again, I may be wrong, but I think there were tall things. Yeah. The the cell wall has to be there. But yeah, you're right. It's just vegetation. Yes. It's swampy vegetation. It got eaten. Now there's still oil. It got turned into oil. So part of me is wondering, we have genetically engineered animals to eat plastics. And that's something people are talking about. So I wonder if nature could do that. If you suddenly have this resource, 
that nothing else can eat. If you need to eat something, I wonder if it's even possible for nature to evolve a plastic eating microbe that would naturally be able to take out that layer and take out the plastics if everything else is gone. If there's a resource to be used, evolution is great at like busting that open. It just may take a long time. And then I wonder, would that turn into a new fuel source? What all depends what the waste product is or the process? If it breaks it down in a certain way, would it make another layer of something that someone else could use in the future? Well, plastic isn't burning something to get energy out of it. Plastic is is a chemical reaction to make a, a product or a material. So Long polymer chains that they, are hard to break down. Yeah. yeah. So if, if, if something in the future wanted to use it as a food source, they would be breaking it. They would be burning it and turning it into something that was oh, I see that couldn't be burned again. Yes, you're right. Okay, you're right. It would destroy it because that's yeah. The oil wasn't created by creatures breaking the wood down. It was not allowing yeah, not allowing the creatures to break it down. Therefore, it turned into oil due to pressure and heat. You're right. You're right. So yeah. Anyway, there probably will be a plastic layer for a long time, but I do wonder if it will get eaten by something in the future. Hmm. Now I'm hungry. Welcome to the Walk of Shame, where you, the listener, tell us where we've made mistakes. You don't have any Walk of Shames for me, do you? I do. I do have one. You bet your ass I do. Whew. Oh, 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 no. Oh, no. The tone suddenly just changed. <laughs> That's right. Every, every time a Walk of Shame is found straight away, it's normally by Eloise. This one was found by Eloise. Yeah. Yep. She hates me. No. <laughs> she does, I don't think Eloise hates you. But she uh, she was very much like, oh, my goodness. Now, she did say that this one may not be a, considered a walk of shame because you're technically correct, but you're also wrong. So I, I don't know why. I, oh, uh, all right. I found it a bit strange. But anyway, you were discussing in a past podcast about how you shouldn't use electrical devices or have a shower when there's a storm, an electrical storm happening outside. And, and, yes. and that you switch everything off and you don't like use taps and things. Well, yes, if your house, well, no, not even your house, it, you could be hurt, you could have damage, but if that's happened, your house was badly built and wasn't earthed properly. In modern buildings, ah. modern buildings say that because there's water coming into your house and electricity coming into your house. So therefore you're already in constant danger of being electrified with water all the time. So they, they have to do something about that. So your house has to be earthed. And your water pipes are earthed and everything is earthed properly. So you should never have to worry. You can take a shower in an Australian standard house. And even if lightning struck the house, it won't go through into the shower and kill you. It will go down the earthing wire into the ground. So that's what it's designed. That's what it's designed to do. Your fuses should click off and your devices won't be damaged. Even if they are, because if they're very sensitive, it will switch off before you're damaged. So they will all flick off and you won't be electrified using a hairdryer or something in a thunderstorm. If you're up to code in Australia, you should not fear lightning outside your your house. Oh, that's brilliant news. I'm going to have showers during thunderstorms all the time. <laughs> so oh, people, thank you so much, Eloise. Yes, that's, that's great. That, that was the thing. So, yes, that's, I just thought it was really good too. I will say this. I will say this. Not that it really matters anymore. You shouldn't hold a corded phone during a thunderstorm so if you have a corded phone like in the old you know back in the old days that could be a little bit dangerous but a cordless home phone or a mobile are completely safe of course there was a problem with those things you probably shouldn't have done that but 
no one's got those anymore, so don't do that. Or do they? I don't know. I think old people still have them. Don't ring your loved ones who are very, very old loved ones on their corded phones. Um, other than that, it's should, you, you should be fine. You should be fine. If it's, if something happens to you, it was, it's a fluke weirdness where it came to the window or something happens, like it's very, very strange. And it was like, likely to happen anyway. Like you, it was going to get you. Something happened is because God hates you. Yes, that's right. Exactly. Science. Uh, we were talking in the last podcast about the sun and what color it is. Yes. And I was blown away to discover that it was actually slightly cooler than it was warmer colored. And yes, it's, yes, it, it peaks in the green. Greg said that it's apparent yellow color is because the red light is more scattered than the blue light, which is why you get red sunsets. Oh. Uh, and Andrew Whitehart oh, writes to tell us that due to Rayleigh scattering, yeah, it is the opposite said, that he, is he's true. absolutely right. Yeah. Blue wavelength yes, light, yes, light is. is scattered. That's why the more sky is blue. By the yes. Ants giving our skies, they're fetching azure hues, yes. making the Chad disc itself look less blue than it actually is. That's true. No, no, I don't know why I said it that way around. He's absolutely correct. As soon as you started, I'm like, yes, of course, that's, I was, yep, 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 yep. That's wrong. Yep. We've talk- but the thing is, Greg, mm. that when I read this, I'm like, but Greg's real smart. <gasps> like, he, this is his thing. Yes. This is the thing he's known for is, is this stuff. Yep. Like, he's probably not wrong. And so I had to go and I had to double check and I had to learn all about this stuff and read through all this stuff about Rayleigh scattering. Yes. Yep. And that something interesting happened <gasps> when that? I was reading What's that. that. I think. I finally understood it. Oh my goodness. So, so the light coming from the sun to my eye mm-hmm. starts at the sun. It pushes like a beam to my eye. It hits the atmosphere. The warmer yellowish and reddish light bounces a little bit when it hits the atmosphere, but it mostly comes straight to my eye. Longer wavelengths. The blue light, yep. it's particles of the atmosphere before it hits my eye and it bounces off and hits something else. Mm-hmm. So I never even see the blue part of the light. So that's why the sun looks yellow. Well, it's because that's it's, sunlight. It's scattered. It is. You're seeing it. It's just scattered all over the sky. That's why the sky looks blue. No, no, but that, that, that beam that came straight to me, the blue part of that beam, it went somewhere else. Yes, yes, yes. It landed right, yes. somewhere else. It never hit my eye. Yes. It bounced all um, over the atmosphere. Yeah. But the sunlight, the beam, the beams from the sun are going everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like it's real bright. So there are beams going to other places and hitting other things that I'm not privy to. Right. But, th- but th- that beam, some of the blue of that beam is bouncing off atmosphere and mm. that's bouncing and hitting my eye. Yes. So I'm seeing the blue bit of someone else's beam. <laughs> of, a, of a different, yes. It's still from the sun, but yes, I see what you're saying. Yes, but it's but it's not the beams that were, were coming at me. It's the beams going somewhere else and then bounced and hit me in the face yes. with the blue bit. Yes. Yes, you're absolutely right. I just don't find it that fascinating because everything's scattered light. I mean, you, you do computer game stuff. It's all about scattering, ray scattering. And like, it's, that's how the world works. Like it's, it's the light around you is why I can see in the corner that there's no direct sunlight coming in, but it's bouncing off this wall, the ceiling to there and into my eye. Like we're getting scattering from everywhere. Yes. Yep. Yes. But that's, it, that's bouncing off things. Yes. Whereas in this case, it's sort of, it's it's hitting something that's invisible. Like it's not like the air is blue. It's it's uh. Oh, this is a good question. This is a good question. Kind of is. Air is air is slightly blue over a large distance. So it's like water is slightly blue. If you get enough water, it's slightly blue, and enough air. But is and that 
Is that because the no, light no. is bouncing the air off itself, the air? And- the air itself is slightly blue. So if you get a big, if you think about um, looking way off into the distance at mountains, the mountains look bluish, and that's not because the atmosphere. It's not the light bouncing through and the blue light bouncing in. It's literally the slight blue nature of, of the air. It, this people, I know people are going to write in about this and argue with me, but it, but as far as I'm aware, air has a very slight blue tinge. That is not why the sky is blue. Mm. It's not that much, no. but it's but it, it has a slight blue tinge to it. So does water. Yes, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking no, no, about no. The but, uh, light. The, yeah, yeah but, but, but you're saying that but you're saying it's invisible. Yes, it, it it does have, but it is interacting with light. That's what I mean, ozone, that sort of stuff. Ozone is really good at deflecting like the ultraviolet and that sort of stuff. That's why the, there are certain molecules that interact with. They get enough energy, they get a certain wavelength, and then it actually can break open the molecule, or it can crack it open, but it has to have certain energy levels. You can't just go a lot of sunlight. It's not the amplitude or the amount. Mm. It's it's certain frequencies, and the blue is scattered more, so it's not just bouncing around. It's absorbed and re-emitted by the oxygen and the air. Then I think it's the oxygen. Is it the oxygen or is it the nitrogen? It's the air anyway. Probably the nitrogen, 70-something percent. I don't really know. The scattering comes because of the frequency. You're right, by the way. Yeah. You, you, you have worked it out. Yes, you're correct. Yeah. So in the late afternoon, though, I can look out at the sun and it looks warmer than it did during the day. Mm-hmm. And the sky looks warm as well because it's at an angle where there's a lot more atmosphere to get through. Mm-hmm. So the blue light is coming along and it's hitting the atmosphere and it's getting bounced a lot, like a, mm-hmm. like three or four, seven, however many times more than usual. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's bouncing everywhere and it's not even getting to me. And the green and yellow is also getting bounced quite a lot. And, and, and some of it gets to me, but a lot of it doesn't. And the red light is still quite good at going straight through the atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so that's the only thing I see is the red light that's left over and everything else has bounced into space or been absorbed into the ground or something because it just keeps bouncing. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so thank, thank you so much, Andrew. Because out of an embarrassing walk of shame for me, I found illumination finally on something that I hadn't previously grokked. But more importantly, we found a much more embarrassing walk of shame for professional astronomer Greg Wah, who screwed up the answer to the question, (laughs) why is the sky blue? It's true. It's that's the important part here. So I got it backwards. And that's what comes from checking your work, everyone. Don't just, when you say things quickly and you, you just say them, then they can be wrong. You shouldn't trust that. That's why we do this amazing walk of shame thing. You have been listening to Dan at smartenough.org. Also, Greg at smartenough.org. You can engage with the subjects that you've heard on the podcast by going to smartenough.org and chatting underneath the episodes in the comment section. (laughs) Yeah, it's fun. It's good there. We always like to write back. So people go on there and write Dan or and and or Greg have a habit of going in there and and writing stuff. Well, replying to stuff. We've or, we've already given you the content. Well, yes, you sorry, can yes. respond to the content, yes. listeners. Yes, that's right. That's true. Yes, very we're not going to go in sure. and respond to what we just said. Yeah. We've already done the responding. <laughs> sure. Shorten it all out of our system. Yeah. Okay. Yep. If you want to support the podcast, please do tell people about us because uh, we've been doing this a long time. We're we coming up been. to episode two hundred soon. Well, we should actually, uh, we should mention that we were both asked to be interviewed for a paper, which is interesting. And 
we so a master's thesis about podcasts and we were we put our names forward to talk about podcasts and i know that uh, when i went to chat to the scientists doing it the master's student who was doing their their thesis on this they were like well you, i don't need to ask you all the questions i've, I've dan's already answered them and oh really so uh, i didn't have to ask all the yep. all the all the boring crappy questions you handled but i still got to ask all the fun questions about thoughts and feelings and things yep Knock under the bar. A whole bunch <laughs> of disinformation. She should have asked you all of the other questions just to make sure that they yeah, were that's, lined well, up. I, I said something very similar. I was like, oh, you, she's like, oh, we'll just, we'll just save time. We'll just not save very time. good science. She's go, oh, I just believe them. That's not how science works at all. No, no, no. But I guess it wasn't about the – they were any, they, they were more interested in the impacts of podcasts and how they work more so than no, – and not how they work, sorry – who knows if, if, when it'll come out of what impact, like how many, but with two data points in someone's science, there you go. All these years, finally, yeah. finally. Always love to be a data point. And no one has to get dengue fever. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm, I think I'm finally out of the woods with that one. Ooh. When I filled you in last time, mm-hmm. I think I had two years before I was back to normal. Oh. And I think that was about two years ago. I have met someone who is an entomologist in Queensland, and they worked not on the one you worked on, not the one you were part of, but a similar project working in tandem Ah. to reduce diseases, not dengue fever. And when I realized this, I talked about it, and they were like, oh, my goodness, yes, and they they knew all about it, so we should definitely interview them in the future. Oh, that'd be great. If you would like to financially support the podcast, you can do a bunch of stuff on the website, buying shirts or dropping money into PayPal. Yep. Uh, or you can become a patron, and we Ooh. would like to thank our second top-tier patrons. Sexy thank people. you to Ivan D., Maddie Wurz, and Rupots, Britta Rog Oski, Lind Say Jen Kin Son, E. Lanamich L., and Ruit Hurst, Grainy Maguire, Avi Green Beret, Matt Hutoy, Andrew Trousdali, Eliza Beth Youngkin, thank you all so much for... What is going on? Hey, I just need to mix it up. It's oh, okay. the same set of names. Right, I, I just see. needed something. Okay, okay, all right, got it. I, was, I, was trying, I thought you were trying to get rid of them or something. Okay, that makes sense. You're just, just making it fun. <laughs> all right. Now, there is, of course, a top tier where <gasps> those top tier patrons get insulted. Oof. So, Eric Wilson used to be a top tier patron and eventually came to his senses. He's written in to say that I should do dairy-based insults, and I listened to him and considered his request. That's the kind of dignity that I provide for people who aren't top-tier patrons. (laughs) So, these insults are dairy-based. Robert Shelton, you are like processed cheese. At some point, the maturation process was halted. (laughs) Mikhail Kedar, you are like curds. There's just no way. Uh... Danny Sores, you fight like a dairy farmer. A devastating insult to which there is no comeback. Tom Siri, you are like my favourite type of cream. Whipped. Mm. Joey Wesley, you are like a nice glass of pasteurised milk. Uncultured. Steve Stewart, you are like plain yogurt. You're not much of a writer. 
Oh, I like that. Mm, nice. Nice. Uh, you like that one? I like that one. I, thought, yeah, I, I feel mm, like that was a bit of a long shot, but no, no, I like that one. That's good. Yep, yep. yep. Next uh, one. Well, Indian listeners and like yes, yes. Nailed it. <laughs> finally. And finally, Steve Eichenhout. You make Asian people and the elderly shit themselves. <laughs> it feels racist and ageist, but I, I know it's. It's not. I don't think it is. Oh, no. Mm. Mm. Uh, and, of course, Sean Seifkin, who we haven't heard from in months, he just <laughs> sends the money. He, he just sends almost enough money to be insulted. Oh, yes. So he gets the first half of an insult. <laughs> uh, Sean Seifkin, you are like the fermented milk drink kefir. Mm. Effir? Effir. We, we've talked about this on the podcast. We we um we had we, we been the fermenta- fermentation episode. And we uh, we put the. Oh, yeah. That was a yeah. long time ago. No, it wasn't. That wasn't that long ago. It was last, last year. Was it? Oh, right. Time, so I'm, think, time. I'm, I'm thinking of the rice experiment. That was a long time ago. No, 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 no. no. We, we, talked to, we talked to a fermentation expert and they gave us their kefir recipe. We put it on the podcast. I put it on the website. You can go find oh, it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Of course. And finally, my milkshakes brought all of these boys to my yard. Morton O'Hare, <laughs> Al Batson, Scott Triscoll, and Michael Barnes. Thank you all so much for being a top-tier patrons of the podcast. Aw, thank you very much. It's, 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 it's very humbling. We appreciate it. And as we always like to say... Jackhammer Cicada. If you go onto Bing and ask it, is Australia real? All of the top things are, no, Australia is not real. <laughs> there you go. It's like, a, it's like a myth. Yeah. Because no one asks, is Australia real? Except for people who have decided Australia is not real. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's no information out there going, yes, Australia is definitely real because everyone just agrees to that. Yes. Yes.